Jesus is teaching his disciples. At this point now, the crowds have come back and are lingering around. So he is, he is teaching specifically to the disciples, but he is doing it in a way that, that people can overhear what he is teaching. And so this is what he says. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we have prophesied in your name, and we've cast out demons in your name, and we have performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and the floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Now, two weeks ago, when we began this new medium of, of worshiping together, we gathered around the theme of not being anxious. And it was kind of like the beginning of this craziness. And it was, for me, reassuring to think about those words, do not be anxious. And then last week, I talked about several things, but in particular, I wanted to focus on how we had become the church scattered. Since we could no longer gather physically at this place, we were scattered. Both of these themes tie into the question for today. And the question for today that I want us to be thinking about in the context of true discipleship is this. What does it mean to do the will of the Father? Let me say it again. What does it mean to do the will of the Father? In John 3, we are reminded about this anxiety that invades every person. John addresses it in his gospel with these words. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Patty and I have a, a dear friend, and um, they were visiting the other day, and, and she had told Patty that her boss at work um, came up to her and said, um, she's obviously working in, a, in one of those essential jobs, and uh, her boss came up to her at work and said, you know, I know you're a religious person, but I don't know how anybody could believe in God when God has caused something like this to happen around the world. Maybe you've had that kind of an encounter. But what we talked about two weeks ago, that this is not of God. 
This is not Jesus. This is not God's will. God didn't come into the world to condemn it. God didn't come into the world to create chaos. That's a consequence of our sin and our rebellion. God came into the world to save it. That's why he sent Jesus, to bring redemption into this world, to bring forgiveness, to bring new life, to bring salvation and eternal life into this world. Do not worry about everyday life, Jesus says. Isn't life more than food? Isn't the body more than clothing? We could probably add to that, this is from Matthew 5, we could probably add today, isn't the body more than toilet paper? So do not be anxious, do not be worried, because God is present with you. And then we talked about being scattered. But what I didn't spend a lot of time talking about last week is that we are also gathered. We are just gathering in a new way. This is how we are gathering for hearing the Word of God, hearing teachings on the Word of God. This is how we gather today. We can't gather like Jesus did in the temple and in the synagogue with his disciples. We can't do that right now. But we can still gather, and that's what we're doing. Today we are hearing electronically the teachings of Jesus. From here we move out to our home, to our family, to our neighbors, to our friends. You see, we are, we are scattered then. Even though all of this is happening in the same place, it is happening with an intentionality that we have never thought about before. We gather around the Word, and then we scatter to share the Word with our children, with our parents, with our friends, with our family. This morning, as we gather, we are being called to put God's mission into practice. And by doing that, what we're talking about is simply loving God and serving our neighbor. Our son-in-law, Stephen, shared with me a couple of, of articles that he read this week about Martin Luther and some of the work that Luther had written about on the plague which hit in Wittenberg uh, in 1527. And so I'm going to take a minute and read a few quotes from this article. This was published in, in the, the Hill. Uh, it's an opinion article by Aaron Hawley. She writes, It was August of 1527, and the bubonic plague had come to Wittenberg, Germany. Everyone who could get out of the village was getting out. The elector of Saxony, John the Steadfast, ordered the famous professor and reformer Martin Luther to leave. He refused. Along with his pregnant wife, Katharina, Luther stayed in Wittenberg, opening his house as a ward for the sick. As a result, historians tell us that healthy people did all they could to avoid the plague. They fled the cities, leaving behind their sick and their dying. The shops were closed. Doctors refused to see patients. Priests refused to administer the last rites. Martin Luther's refusal to leave Wittenberg stands in stark contrast. He chose to stay to minister to the sick. 
literally living his life in the shadow of death as others fled. Another pastor asked Luther whether it was okay for a Christian to leave. And Luther said, you can leave as long as you have taken care of making sure that someone is there to take care of the people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, uh, that you would yourself have taken care of. So he gave options for people to leave, but the focus was always on being a neighbor, being a neighbor to one another. And as I read this article, I was reminded of how, how today it is really the doctors, the nurses, the PAs, the NPs, the techs, it's all the people in the hospitals, in the ER, all the people in the first responder groups, these are the people who are caring for us today. They are the ones that are embodying what Luther wanted us to embody, that sense of loving God and serving our neighbor. Let's hear from Carl.
that first question that we began with. What does it mean to do the will of God? It means to cry to God in our time of need. It means to be in that kind of a relationship with God where we can talk with God, where we can speak with God about what is in our hearts, what is on our minds, what worries us, what creates cause for us to pause. You know, we've had those jokes going on about religious people or spiritual people. You know the ones, well, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And, and we kind of make fun of that kind of stuff. But what's interesting is those issues are at the core of what Jesus is trying to teach us today. You see, you can't, in Jesus' eyes, be just spiritual and not religious. Nor can you be religious but not spiritual. What does that mean? Well, let's say that you can do amazing spiritual things. Let's say you can prophesy. Let's say you can even do miracles in the name of Jesus, of course. You're not doing this on your own. This isn't magic. You're doing it through the power and the name of Jesus. You can do that. But if you do that and you have no regard for the teachings of God, for the law, then Jesus says we've missed the point. Well, let's look at the other side. What does it mean to be religious but not spiritual? That is when we know all the doctrines. We've got the catechism memorized. We know all of the teachings, but we don't practice any spirituality. You know, as long as I know the difference between right and wrong, isn't that sufficient? I don't actually need to do it. It's all up here. I got it up here. Jesus said, no, that's not sufficient either. So how does one do the will of God in the context of the Spirit and the spiritual gifts that Jesus is talking about and in the context of the law and the teachings of which Jesus is talking about. How do we do it? Well, the first thing is what Jesus is saying here is that it's not a response. It's not a to-do list. Nor is it an experience as wonderful as that might be. But what it is, what it is, we're reminded from John 3, is that it is a relationship. Jesus is inviting us into relationship with him on a daily basis, on an ongoing basis. This is why we like to use daily texts around here as our devotional. Um, it's the Moravian text. You can look it up and find it, Daily Text, 2020. And the reason we like to use those is because it draws us together as a community in spirit and in teaching. It's not response. It's not an experience. But it is a relationship. It is a call. Reminds me of when I was a young child, and 
my brothers and I would be playing outside, and when it was dinner time, my mother, this was back in the 60s and 70s, and my mother would call us, time for dinner, and we would all come running home because we recognized her voice. We recognized the call. It was someone that we were deeply in relationship with, and when she said it was time for dinner, we wanted to be together. You see, Jesus calls you the same way, in a relationship. He wants you to be in conversation with him, day and night, as he comes to you through the Holy Spirit. He wants to strengthen that, that God-given, beautiful, wonderful relationship. When I was thinking about this concept of relationship, um, I, I was thinking also of how, how that is a way that we abide. John also talks about abiding um, as he shares Jesus' teaching on abiding with the Father, abiding with God. And, and when we think about abiding, it's just sometimes just being present. It's not speaking, this is what I need today, God. It's more just kind of listening, like, what do you want me to notice today? And how can I be with you in everything that I do? Even when things are really difficult, even when people around us are getting ill, even when loved ones have died, how do we hold on to that relationship? Because that is what Jesus intends for us. There's a story in the Old Testament about two kings. It doesn't happen very often that you get two kings. But um, Samuel has listened to God. God has called Samuel to go and find a new king. He said it's one of Jesse's boys. And so uh, they go through the whole list, the big, handsome one, all the way down to the bottom, and, and then there's still no selection. And finally, they, well, there's a little, little runt, but he's out watching the sheep. His name is David. So they bring David in, and, and Samuel looks at him, and he said, this is the one, this is whom God has anointed as the king. And so as he becomes the king, he is sought after I, the king. You see, Israel still being ruled by King Saul. And Saul has um, had some kind of uh, uh, mental illness, they think. Um, but he sees David, even before David became the king, even before he was anointed, he sees David as a big threat. And so he is trying to kill David. And uh, some scholars say that, that this chase between Saul and David had gone on for 10 years. And so it is a long time that David is waiting to become the king of Israel. He hid in caves. He had Saul's men chasing him. He experienced anger like he had never seen before from Saul. Saul got so angry at one point that he even threw a spear that almost killed his own son, Jonathan. You see, David was king, 
but he couldn't be king. And so he rested instead, not on his power, not on his security, but on the promises of God. He rested with the promises of God. And even if it was sparse living conditions, even if they lacked food sometimes, he knew that God was present with him. Saul, on the other hand, Saul was trying to take the world into his own hands, trying to control it for himself. But what we do know is that eventually David did become king. And that relationship with God continued. You see, God isn't anticipating that once we have this relationship with Jesus, everything is going to be perfect and we're not going to sin anymore. David was the sinner of sinners. But he was also in relationship with God. So he could write poetry. He could, he could write songs. He could, many of the Psalms are attributed to David. So that, that he could continue that relationship with his, with his heavenly father. And because of that abiding that David spent with God those years, he was able to bear fruit. And because he was patient, there were many times when David could have taken King Saul out. There's some really, there's one really funny story. I won't go into it today, um, but read through First uh, and Second Samuel, and you'll find that funny story about how David could have um, killed Saul, but he didn't. He saved his life. And because of that patience, David was able to bear even better fruit. You see, pruning, this time of pruning that we are experiencing today, promises good fruit. And if we can be patient in this time of pruning, God is saying we will bear even better fruit. And so, connecting with God, if you have run out of Netflix things to stream, you have not been connecting with God enough. Can I just say that? I, I hope you're not offended. But uh, that's, you know, you need to spend a little more time connecting with God if you've gone through all of Netflix. Um, if you are connecting with those who are close to you, instead of watching the news 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then you are becoming closer to God. Because we become close to God, not just by connecting with God, but by connecting with those whom God has put in relationship with us, those whom we love. You see, doing the will of God isn't a marking list that you check off. It isn't this great experience. Doing the will of God is living in relationship with God so that God can use us to bear fruit, to bear more fruit, and to bear even better fruit. So let's take this time of Lent. Let's take this period of required patience and let's connect with God in a way that will build that relationship 
I invite you to pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus. For in him, we truly see what a relationship means. God, you sent your Son to earth so that we would not see you as something abstract or philosophical or angry or judgmental. But you sent him to earth so we could see you as flesh and blood, as life, as salvation. Prepare our hearts this week so that we may trust in you, in your word, that we might grow more in loving relationship with you, that we might serve our family, our neighbors, as you have called us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.